Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. So, here we are. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. No, that was not a misprint. Now you know why we don't regularly use the KJV. But here's the point. Us coming out of darkness into light makes us different from the inside out. We no longer think the same. We no longer have the same values as we did before. Therefore, the way we conduct ourselves is different. For those who have not, as the scriptures put it, been born again, this seems peculiar indeed. What I want to talk to you about today makes complete sense in the light of the kingdom of heaven and eternity. But to those who are grounded in this life, this would be absurd. C.S. Lewis says this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Anytime we lose sight of eternity, our values get screwed up. We begin, begin thinking on an earthly plane rather than a heavenly one. We seek temporal rewards rather than eternal pleasure. Gone is the distinction of what makes us a peculiar people and our light to the darkness is dimmed. We shine the brightest and consequently we're the most fulfilled when we align ourselves with heaven. So today's message is entitled Unattached and it's about our hearts and money. It's peculiar that we find joy in giving away our hard-earned money. While everyone else is grasping and grabbing and hanging on to stuff, we're gladly giving it away. We live in an upside-down kingdom where if you try to save your life, you lose it. And if you humble yourself, you're exalted. A tenet of this upside-down kingdom is that there's more blessing to be found in giving than in receiving. There's joy in being untethered to this world's goods. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, invites us into a life free from the cares of this world, unworried about what we'll eat or drink or wear. This is freedom indeed. This joy and freedom increases exponentially when we're able to give this stuff away. As Andrew Womack describes, real prosperity is defined by how much we give away not by how much we keep for ourselves. So, prosperity is about blessing, not possessing. True prosperity is not measured in how big your bank account is, but in how full and free your heart is to be able to give away what you've received. Now hopefully, as believers, we're known for being generous. It's really tough to express what God is like without generosity. We should be the quickest to give most eager to share, not only with those in need, but also just to bless people. In that sense, we're somewhat peculiar. But face it, there are tons of non-Christians who give to charitable causes, many who give way beyond what I'll hope to even see in my lifetime. What makes us particularly peculiar is that we tithe. 
tithe literally means 10%. Now there are loads of secular financial advisors who recommend that you consistently give away at least 10% of your income to increase your own health and well-being. This is just another case of science backing up scripture. But here's what makes biblical tithing peculiar. The tithe is not just 10% of our income, it's the first 10%. We don't use what might be left over at the end of the month after we buy that sweater or, or go see that movie. We make it a priority. It's what the Bible refers to as first fruits. You give the first of your harvest, not the last. The wisdom of Solomon says this in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. Secondly, the tithe is undesignated giving. It's not earmarked for missions or for a person in need or any other worthy cause. We freely release control and give it to God. Hebrews 7.8 indicates Jesus, the one who lives on, receives tithes. And thirdly, the, home, the tithe goes to your home base, your church home. The Bible calls this the storehouse. God states in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, says the Lord of hosts. The goal is that you're a functioning part of a healthy, working, kingdom-minded church family. If you don't feel good about giving to the church you're a part of, you're in the wrong place. Find one where you can, and that includes here. If you can't wholeheartedly get behind the vision of this house, by all means, become a part of a church that you can fling yourself into. People have told me, oh, I gave my tithe to such and such missionaries in Africa. They're doing a great work there. I don't doubt that they are. However, giving your tithe elsewhere indicates you're not really behind the home team. That's like eating at McDonald's and paying for it at Burger King. (laughs) Give your offerings wherever you want, but the tithe is to go into the storehouse, your church home, where you're fed and cared for and connected. Yes, the tithe you give to God will be stewarded by imperfect people. That's part of the trusting God factor and fully releasing your gift to him. And, hey, it's a great incentive to pray for the leadership. Jesus had Judas as his treasure, and he wasn't particularly worried. In biblical language, the tithe comes from the first 10% of your income, while an offering is anything that you give over that to extend the kingdom of God. An offering could go to anything God places on your heart. Missions, cancer research, helping the homeless, hospitality, whatever your heart finds beautiful. What my wife, Monica, and I have done is after we've given our tithe, we set aside a certain percentage to give away. That way, when opportunities arise, we have money available to help out. It's great fun. For me, it's a lot more enjoyable when I'm not trying to pull money out of a hat. And I'm able to be much more generous that way. I've run into people who essentially give offerings but no tithe. That's sad to me. It's not about following the law, but about priority. Yeah, you may be giving money for God, but the first fruits are to be given to God. It's about what you value most. 
So that's what makes tithing a most peculiar practice. Another peculiarity about this place, unlike the national average in this church, the vast majority of you tithe. That's awesome. This is a giving house. Every time I need services, you run to meet it. I don't recall a single need that went unmet. There are many, many generous people here. But perhaps you're new to the faith, or tithing is a new concept to you. Or maybe it's one you've wrestled with. My wish for you is that you would soon enter into the joy and blessing of tithing. This is the only place in scripture that God actually requests us to put him to the test. As we read from Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Tithing is about aligning our values with heaven and about making God our first love. After tithing for so many years, I'd be afraid not to. I like having the devourer rebuked. I have consistently seen God make 90% go much, much farther than what I could make 100% go on my own. We began this year at the Upper Room talking about living under an open heaven, and tithing is an access point into an open heaven that God invites us into. People ask, should I tithe on my net or my gross? Well, I can tell you what I do, and I can give you rationale for both. As long as your motivation isn't to be cheap with God, I really don't care which you do. Just settle it in your heart and start getting in on the blessing. Some are quick to point out that generosity involves so much more than money. It certainly does. But don't let that be an excuse to not examine your heart towards money. The real issue is not money, and it's really not about the gift. It boils down to where we place our trust and affections. The sooner we can trust our God, who feeds the birds of the air and adorns the lilies of the field to provide for us, the sooner we can enjoy peace and freedom, not to mention, the better we can reveal what God is like to the world. How we handle money is not inconsequential in the kingdom. While money may be neutral, what we do with it is not. Interestingly, Jesus tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be, which you think would be true. He says the acid test for where your affections truly lie is where your money goes. What you do with your money reveals what you most value. That's why what we do with our money has spiritual consequences. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10 and 11, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Selah, ponder that. How we handle earthly money 
shows God how much he can trust us with. Jesus goes on to say in this passage, no servant can serve two masters, for he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He really doesn't give a third option. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The key to generosity and kingdom living is putting your treasure in heavenly places. Let me just throw this in here. If you're ever manipulated to give, here or anywhere, you have my permission to promptly put your wallet back in your pocket or purse. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 is clear. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Before you cheer, however, if you always feel pressured and uneasy whenever an opportunity to give is presented, it's probably things in your own heart that need dealt with. If the subject of money or giving causes you to bristle, it's most likely because the issue isn't settled in your heart. How many of you, before you were saved, when you'd stumble across a Christian radio teacher or run into someone sharing the gospel, your reaction was, there they go again, those blankety-blank Christians. But after you knew Jesus, your reaction was different. That's because the issue was settled in your heart. When we allow Jesus to be the Lord of our finances, the same thing happens here. Now, generally, I found that people sharing on the subject of, mel- of money and generosity will say something like, God is not against wealthiness. In fact, I had that in my notes until it dawned on me. What am I saying? That's akin to saying, in the kingdom, being wealthy is second class. Or just getting by is more spiritual than having abundance. What kind of poverty mentality is that? I'd have to say God is pro-abundance. I mean, look at where he lives. He lavishes his love upon us. He loves to give more than enough. But he has a completely different value system. No one in heaven is enamored by gold streets. There, it's like what we drive our cars on. (laughs) Just rocks and tar. Only more beautiful. The truth is, wealth would destroy the vast majority of us. I I just read an article in Time called, Here's How Winning the Lottery Makes You Miserable. It gave numerous personal testimonies of how people's lives went to crap after getting the big payout. Do you know that the bulk of huge lottery winners also end up worse off financially than before their win? According to the National Endowment for Financial Education, 70% of people who win a lottery or get a big windfall actually end up bankrupt in just a few years. Real happiness doesn't come from external things. It comes from within you. Some never figure this out and they're always chasing something in search of fulfillment. Ironically, living for pleasure is an unfulfilling way to live. 
Hebrews 5.13 reads, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. To me, this seems a strange pairing. The oft-quoted, I will never leave you nor forsake you with keep your life free from the love of money. But the secret to being free from the love of money, which includes possessions and materialism and provision, along with all the anxiety, stress, and status pressures that go with it, is knowing Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough, and he's always for you, and he's always with you. Oddly, Jesus said that when you let go of everything and seek the kingdom of God above all else, everything you need and more would be added back in. Although I disdain talking about myself in this context, I guess I'll tell you this. There's been a year or two where our giving approached 50% of our income. I only say this for two reasons. First off, I want you to know, since I'm teaching you this stuff, that I'm serious about learning to live generously. I love to be free enough to give away most of our income on a regular basis. The second point is, don't think for a moment that I have a gift of generosity. I do not. When people are gifted at something, it comes pretty naturally for them. They make it look easy. I come from a long line of, I like to say, frugal people. (laughs) I'm sure there's other adjectives you could use. We don't throw things away, we fix them. I've seen my dad fix things, first off, that no one else would have the patience to fix, and secondly, that weren't worth, weren't worth fixing in the first place. <laughs> he grew up on the farm where you just improvised and made things work, and I'm sure his grandfather was the same way. Certainly, the apple didn't fall, fall far from the tree. Giving doesn't come naturally for us. We preserve and conserve and save. That's our default. I'll let you in on a little bit of the severity of my frugalness. Whenever I'd enter a room to get something, if at all possible, I'd leave the light off to conserve, many times stumbling around in the dark. And don't tell my wife this because it would drive her crazy, but I once calculated whether it was cheaper to blow my nose on a Kleenex or two squares of toilet paper. Yeah, it's true. Before I was, re- I was married, I remember going out to eat with friends, and when the waitress would put it all on one check, my friends would immediately say, oh, we'll just divide it up e- evenly. And I was thinking, I was the one who drank just water and didn't order dessert. No wonder you want it divided evenly. <laughs> and of course, I was too embarrassed to say anything. My first fight with my wife was on our honeymoon. (laughs) It was because she wanted to bring back gifts for folks at home I didn't think were necessary. (laughs) 
so you get the idea. Giving is not my first inclination. I don't have a gift of generosity, but what I do have is a brain. I would read scriptures like, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And like, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And I'd think, I want a piece of that. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. I like the idea of God paying me back. He always gives extra. I read that I could store up treasures in heaven that would last forever. As Randy Alcorn puts it, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that sounded good to me. I also learned an awful lot about giving from my frugal father, who became an outrageous giver. I witnessed the wonderful fruit of his life. My mom, too, is insanely generous. To this day, it pains her that she can't give more. I owe a lot to her example as well. And I've come to know generosity because I live with her. Monica, my wife, embodies generosity more than any other she has shown me what God's heart is like she inspires me to, inspi- to aspire to be like that and I've learned so much from you I see you sacrificially giving to send people to the nations with the good news of Jesus I've caught wind of people being blessed by your generosity, things you've done in secret. I've seen you empty your wallets of cash to help people you don't even know. It's beautiful. And so, I am growing. My mind is being renewed with the word of God. I'm letting go of old enslaving mindsets. I'm being transformed to to live in the goodness of God and to express it in greater ways. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, does a great job of capturing my heart for us here today. Finally then, brethren, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So, let's live for what is eternal and lay up treasures in heaven. Let's give to God first. Let us grow in generosity that all may come to know the goodness of God. And in all these things, let us excel still more. Amen. To wrap this up, the eldership just wanted me to convey to you some recent giving opportunities we've had. As I mentioned, this is a generous house. Not only you individually, but us corporately. The upper room always gives 10% off the top to works outside ourselves. Now, nowhere in scripture is this listed as a requirement for churches. It's just a smart thing to do, biblically speaking. Ron Myers is our chief financial officer, and he does a phenomenal job of keeping things in check 
while listening to the voice of God. And his wife, Kathy, is a big help in that regard too, especially in the day-to-day operations. Why don't you guys give them a hand? Well, Ron came to the elders a few months ago and said, uh, basically, do with this what you want, but I feel we should give away 10000 on top of our normal giving. Well, that resonated with all our spirits, and after praying into it, here's what we've given to so far. First off, God has a heart for the nations, and so do we. So we gave to Harvest Preparation International Ministries. Their primary thrust is to train and equip leaders, raising them to be effective and fruitful in their own nations. They're based out of Sarasota, and Chuck Hamilton is now the director. We also have a huge heart for Israel, so we partnered with Ohio Celebrates Israel to send money directly into reaching that nation. And we gave towards the relief efforts after the huge earthquake in Mexico. And Chuck was able to personally deliver that. Also, this fellowship is very missional. We're taking the kingdom into every sphere of society. And we love what so many of you are doing, and we wanted to bless those efforts. This first one overlaps the nations because the nations are in our backyard. We gave to the Latino outreach in Salem. And this is spearheaded by our own Manuel and Carmen Lukes, who we've adopted from Guatemala. We also gave to Bob Kimple and his work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. You recently heard how they're doing an awesome job bringing the gospel into our local schools. And we were delighted to give to Lampost Farm. We love what Steve and Belle Montgomery and Marnie Broderick are doing. In my words, they're reversing the curse, bringing the kingdom to the garden (laughs) once again. And Danielle Saker and her sister are opening a girl's home called Heritage House. They've worked with girls in group homes for years, and they wanted a way to reach these girls with the love of Jesus. So they're opening a home that will be faith-based. So we got behind that. And we also gave to Tim Figley, who heads up Kingsway Business Coaching. Tim is a great friend of this house. He spent countless hours with the elders at his own expense, maximizing our team and making us more effective. And we wanted to sow into his ministry as he brings the kingdom to businesses and organizations, both Christian and otherwise. And finally, we have a heart for our city. We just wanted to bless Columbiana. So we went to the city leaders and asked where they'd like us to sow $1,000. And they directed us to the restoration of a historical building that's actually in the cemetery. And I guess this is one of only three buildings remaining with this kind of architecture. So that's what we did. Some of you may have read about it in the news. And I look forward to giving more to our city in the future. So... Amen. That was fun. So thanks for that opportunity. So let us excel still more. To close up, what I'd like us to do, you know, I could pray this nice prayer at the end, but I would like us all to pray into this. Uh, If we could just get in groups of two, three, four, uh, right now, And just pray into 
we can pray into these works that I just mentioned, that God would bless those efforts, let the kingdom shine forth through those things. We can pray for new works to be raised up. We need to pray for wisdom and for pure hearts. It's like Solomon, you know, he had this dream and, and God appeared to him and asked, what can I give you? And, and he said, you know, I really want a heart of wisdom. And God said, well, since you didn't ask for money and all that stuff, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And uh, we just need to pray for pure hearts that we can steward well what God's given us, faithful and little, so he can entrust more to us. And I also want you to pray for finances to prosper. I do believe that God is a God of abundance. He's a God of increase. So wherever you're at now, he wants, he has more for you. So uh, right now, let's just gather into groups of two or three, four, and pray into these things. This is another peculiarity about this house. Uh, we are the church. We are the, uh, we don't do church. We are the church. So, so I'm just going to pray over top of you while you do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have showed us what generosity is really like. Lord, you who did not spare even your own son, how much more freely will you not give us all things, Lord? And we just thank you for your generous heart for us, Lord. Thank you for your heart for the city, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you want everyone to experience your goodness, your life, your love, Lord God. Lord, we just pray that your kingdom would go forth, Lord, here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Lord, we bless these works that we have been able to sow into, Lord God. We ask that you would make their, their efforts fruitful, Lord. We ask for more for them, Lord God. More wisdom, more grace, more opportunities, divine appointments. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would raise up new works, even out of this place, Lord God, that would touch lives, Lord God. Lord, that would go into every facet of society, Lord God, into the schools and into the business places and into the communities and the neighborhoods, into families and households, Lord God, neighborhoods. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us pure hearts, Lord God, that we could be trusted by you, Lord God. You said if we're able to handle earthly wealth, Lord, you'd be able to entrust true riches. That's what we want, Lord God. That's where our affections lie, are with you, Lord God. So, Lord, give us those true riches, Lord God, that we might freely give away what you've given us, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for finances to prosper, Lord. Your word says, uh, it says in First John, or Second John, chapter 1, Lord, you pray that we would prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that our souls would prosper, that we would know your peace and your grace, Lord. We'd let go of anxiety, Lord, and place our trust in you, Lord, for all your provision, Lord. We pray for um, increases, Lord God, for raises, Lord God, for um, finances to be released, Lord, for debts to be paid off supernaturally, Lord. We pray for uh, just your provision in every way, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you want to do. Amen.